Well, hey everyone. Welcome to episode 350 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. This week on the podcast, I'm excited to bring you a conversation that I had with one of my favorite small scene photographers, Ian Gaston. Like me, Ian was first drawn to the big, bold, and cinematic grand scenic landscapes that were made bombastic in the mid-2010s by sites like 500px. It's wonderful seeing Ian's work transform into a unique and personal style that I've grown to appreciate immensely. Nothing to announce this week, but as always, I'd love to see you join the conversations that we have about each episode over on Patreon. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash f-stop and listen. Enjoy! Alright, let's get to this week's episode with Ian Gaston. Alright, Ian Gaston, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks, it's great to be here. It's, a, it's an honor. So. Yeah, yeah, of course, man. I, uh, I have no idea how I came across your work. You know, sometimes people do like an Instagram story of someone's image that they really like. And uh, my friend Eric Bennett does that a lot. I think it might have been just for, through Instagram. Like someone shared one of your photos and I was like, that is sick. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I I'm really like your photography. It's the type of photography that I'm super into lately and can't wait to talk to you about your process. Yeah. Can't wait to talk about it. All right. Well, cool, Ian. So for people who aren't familiar with you, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about Ian Gaston. Sure. Uh, well, I live here in the Santa Cruz Mountains in a small rural mountain town of about a little over 5,000 people. It's nice. I'm, I'm kind of immersed in, in nature that way. So um, I think it helps with the creative process for my photography. And I'm here with my wife, my very supportive and brutally honest wife, especially with my photography. <laughs> um, and our shelter animals, a, a big dog named Kira and a cat, a black cat named Patrick. And yeah, I've been shooting probably for about 12 years now. I think it's kind of similar to you in terms of time frame of, of photographing. So I started off when I was living in Sri Lanka. I lived there for about five years. And I think once I got there, I, I brought my camera. I wasn't, I wasn't a, an avid photographer at that time, but I brought my camera with me. I was just blown away at all the wildlife there. And I really wanted to just focus on that. And yeah, brought my camera along and started slowly noticing certain species and got really attracted to birds. So I was immediately hooked. I was constantly out in the field photographing birds and it, it really taught me a lot about camera settings and I got immediately addicted to, to photographing wildlife. I, I got a, a nice long telephoto. I had, I think I had a a beast of a camera I had like a 12 megapixel uh, <laughs> Pentax or something. I, for, I forgot what exact model it was, but so I was doing that for a couple years solid, just really focusing on on wildlife. That's awesome. What what brought you to Sri Lanka? Uh, an ex girlfriend of mine was Sri Lankan, <laughs> so oh, I, really? I moved over there for her primarily, and I. I did work in the music industry, so I wanted to start my own production company over there. Oh, wow. I was doing a lot of jingle work for um, big companies over there, so. Really? So, like, radio and TV advertisement, that kind of yeah. stuff? Yeah, for, like, it wasn't Coca-Cola. It was, it was like an elephant energy drink, and 
Um, <laughs> I forgot the uh, cellular provider over there, but it was for, I think it was Dialogue. I think that was the company over there. So huh. I did I did little jingles to, to survive. And I realized pretty fast that I didn't want to be in the music industry anymore because I felt kind of restricted in terms of not being able to go outside. I was always in the studio at really odd hours. And I mean, I, I still love music. I still write, um, singing and songwriting and, and acoustic mainly, but I realized that it wasn't what I wanted to do with my time. So I, I just wanted to constantly be immersed in nature. So that's why I, I decided to shoot wildlife. And then after a couple of years of shooting wildlife, I got kind of compositionally stuck. I, I wasn't sure where to go. And I really wanted to gravitate towards landscape. And um, when I moved back into the States, I wasn't an avid backpacker or my parents were sort of homebodies and I, I didn't go on too many, too many outdoor adventures when I was young. But uh, after, after moving back from Sri Lanka, I was just, I really got the, got the bug to constantly be outside and, and immerse myself in nature. So I started gravitating towards wide angle as chasing the light and I, I think you know I was kind of emulating other photographers I was looking at online I mean Ted Gore Ted Gore was a big influence of mine so I mean that's pretty common I, mean, I, mean, I feel yeah. like that's a big part of what launched my journey as well I mean I remember spending hours looking at 500 px like oh my god look at that photo from Alex Noriega or mm -hmm. look at that amazing image from Ted Gore you know I I totally get it. <laughs> I just wanted to, yeah, just I wanted to know how it was done because what I was coming home with was was not nearly as even close to to what they were producing. So um, I remember I I ordered a a video tutorial, a, a Ted Gore video tutorial, and I was just blown away at what you can do with post processing. Yeah, so I I was pretty deep into the the landscape scene, wide angle stuff for a good six years maybe until I finally transitioned. I, I just, I felt like I needed to be a little more expressive with my photography and I, I transitioned into, into smaller scenes and that's kind of where I am right now. So I love that. First of all, real quick, before we move into that more deeply, uh, are you doing photography full time now or do you, is it just a part of what you do? Tell me a little bit about what it's just, your relationship it's a it's a part of what I do. I, I do an occasional small workshop here and there and sell prints, mm -hmm. um, just kind of some passive income. But I recently started my own company. I do, I do a lot of manual labor. So I do like window cleaning, oh, gutter okay. cleaning, stuff like that. So, um, gotcha. yeah, I started you, my own uh, business. So. Did you, did you write your own jingle? Nope. I haven't wrote a <laughs> jingle in, in forever. So I, I probably should. I should have my own jingle for the business. That's, that's a good yeah. idea. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If, if 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 you had a jingle for your photography, what, what would it what would it, what would it say? Oof. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I won't. Yeah, yeah. I won't put yeah. you on the spot like that. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, I'm I'm especially interested to hear you talk more about kind of the phases of landscape photography that you've gone through. I mean, you know, you started mm -hmm. with birds, like you said, but. Um, you migrated after that to kind of emulating others that you admire, like Ted Gore, like we discussed. And now you're more focused on smaller scenes. And I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about what that journey has been like for you. Oof. 
Um, it's been a long one, longer than I than I wanted to be. <laughs> it took me a long time to realize the importance of light, like an embarrassingly long time. I think mm. I was I was thinking I was taking these really great pictures. I'd, I'd bring them back up and put them on the computer and just yeah, there's just something that was lacking and the importance of light just it took me a really long time to to wrap my head around that concept mm -hmm. um, and i i mean i knew the camera really well like i said the the wildlife photography taught me how to really really hone in on 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 all the controls of the camera I, it just it took me a really long time to realize how important light was in a photograph and my observational skills in terms of reacting to what I was seeing, it, that took me a long time as well. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to explain what exactly it was that triggered this want to dive deeper into more of a personal expression in my images. Just the way I was observing nature, I think, changed a lot in the last couple of years for me. Mm -hmm. I'm noticing so much i'm i'm just like i'm looking 360 all around me i was so tunnel viewed with the wide with the wider angle stuff i was so focused on whether it was going to blow up i mean i've got i had my comp set up i had a big mountain for like in the background and i had a nice leading line in the foreground i was i was bummed because i missed so much so much that i would have noticed now yeah 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 and no, I, I had a similar Similar for me, I I had a kind of a seminal moment, though, where I kind of made this shift. And I'm curious if yours was like there was an aha moment or did you just kind of gradually start leaning into that preference or was there certain photographers you started noticing? Tell us a little bit about that. It wasn't necessarily an aha moment. It was, it was pretty gradual. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. It was me a lot of the time forcing myself to only use one lens. I uh, think that really I think that really helped. The 70 to 200 is kind of my primary focal length right now that I use on almost everything. Yeah. Um, I, I will bust out the, the wide angle, but I'm usually really close to the subject with wide angle now. Right. Uh, yeah. I'm the same. <laughs> yeah. So I just, it was really, my observational skills changed in the last couple of years, and I think that's what really changed my 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 view on on where I wanted to take an image. Mm -hmm. So, and I, I'd be curious too. I mean, you had mentioned that you bought a Ted Gore tutorial, and for those not in the know about Ted Gore, you know, he he makes his living as a compositor. I mean, that's what he does for in the film industry, I believe. Okay. And, and, um, you know, he, back in, you know, the mid 2010s, you know, he popularized a lot of compositing kind of looks and feels like a lot of light bleed and just mm -hmm. a lot of kind of making a landscape look really surreal and lots of color pop and light shifts. And he just helped popularize kind of that Ryan Dyer, Mark Adamus look and feel. And I'm curious, you know, you bought the tutorial and you had said that you were like blown away by what you could do with post-processing. Mm -hmm. How did that make you feel? I mean, cause you were kind of disappointed with your images. You were like, Oh, I'm coming home with these images. They're not anything like what I'm seeing people post online. And then you see how it's made. Like the curtain is revealed. Like, did that evoke anything in you? I mean, definitely evoked a lot of interest. 
<laughs> I was looking at those images and, and just, it almost, it looked so theatrical. Like it was just so in your face and dramatic. And, and I just, for a little while, I, I wanted to emulate that. And I was spending, I mean, what, five to six hours on one image. Oh, wow. Going through the just post-processing and trying to hone in the color balance and the light bleed and I'm I'm warping things and just uh, being pretty aggressive to the to the raw file and af- after a little bit I started realizing it wasn't necessarily who I was and mm. and, and how I wanted to express my vision in in an image so I I've uh, I step back from from that process. Totally. Yeah. No, it's it's funny because I kind of went through a similar process, although my reaction was a little different. <laughs> uh-huh. I had the same reaction like, man, how come how are these people getting these amazing photographs all the time? Like every time they post, it's just an incredible image. And then <clears throat> I made the realization that a lot of the images that we see are not exactly what that person actually photographed. You know, like they're putting in a different sky or, you know, things of that nature or they're warping objects or, you know, they're completely adding in an entirely different foreground that they didn't even have in the front of them for that scene. And, you know, they're just perfecting the photo. So that's like this, like you said, it's a theatrical presentation. Mm -hmm. And when I made that realization, I was like, it was a complete letdown for me. I was like, oh, so that's how this is done. (laughs) Yeah, there's... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> there's been a there's been some locations that I've definitely gone to after seeing an image and I was I was like what this is <laughs> this is the scene are, are you for real like definitely the the feeling of being let down I think kind of slowly altered the way I was making photographs after that for sure yeah and you mentioned now um, you're you tend to work in a fairly minimal post process I'd be mm-hmm. curious to speak if you could speak about kind of what methods you use to process your work now compared to kind of what you used to do. I spend more time on Lightroom processing. I originally with the, with the, um, when I started, I used Lightroom as just kind of like a catalog to, to keep my images and always went directly into Photoshop and just started going to town. <laughs> but swing swinging for the fences. Exactly. <laughs> Although I've never really dropped skies, I think I've done it once or twice, but I always, I always felt a little dirty with that. So, I mean, I'll, <laughs> I'll warp the shit out of something, but yeah, with the drop skies, I'm like, eh, a little, little much for me. But um, I spend a lot more time on on Lightroom now, uh, probably more than I do on Photoshop. I'll mm-hmm. I'll transfer I'll transfer my images to do to do some spot healing and, and slight warping and just getting rid of small distractions, stuff like that on Photoshop. But yeah, primarily I'll, I'll spend time on Lightroom, but I'll usually like a max of maybe an hour on an image now, as opposed to, I mean, half a day that I used to spend. <laughs> right. And yeah, I, I always come back to images now. I, I'll always, I always kind of let it, let it, let it marinate a little bit and give it, give it, give certain images weeks, certain images months, and then other images, I mean, I will, I'll have in my catalog for a couple of years and, and won't even do anything until I look at it again and I, and, I, and I feel inspired to start working it again, so. 
Yeah, and I don't know about you, but one of the appeals of the types of images you're creating, and it's a lot of the same types of stuff I'm really drawn to as well, is, man, you're taking the image and you're like, I know, I don't, I don't really have to do that much to this image to really make it shine. I mean, you know, maybe a slight curves adjustment with the midtones and, you know, get rid of a couple of distractions here and there and it's good mm-hmm. to go, you know? So I think mm-hmm. there is an appeal to shooting the types of scenes that you're, that you're shooting now from that right. perspective. I usually avoid curves altogether. I'm, I'm more of a levels guy. <laughs> I feel like I'm too distracted with curves. I'm like, ah. <laughs> yeah, I'm usually messing with levels, so. Yeah. But, but yeah, there's definitely, it's, most of the work is in, in field now. It's what I'm, what I'm noticing in the field. It's experimenting a crap ton with, with shutter speed and movement and just not really anymore. Right. So totally. just a lot of experimentation. Yeah. No, that's, yeah. that's, that's awesome. And hopefully we can talk a little bit more about that later. I wanted to ask one more question kind of related to your kind of your journey and, you know, the phases of photography that you went through. Cause I think that particular path you took is something that happens to a lot of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had mentioned to me in our correspondence that when you were kind of in that phase of copying other compositions, grand scenics, very condition-dependent photography, mm-hmm. that it kind of led to burnout for you. And I was curious if you could talk a little bit about what, what happened there. Sure. Yeah, it was definitely definite burnout. For I was traveling a lot. I was just getting in my car and going over the PNW, going to places in Oregon and, and Washington and Arizona and Utah wanting to find those spots, wanting to get better weather conditions to try to make my work stand stand out a little bit more. And that all led to burnout pretty quick for sure. And it was just, I, I wasn't feeling like I was being my authentic self doing that. And I, I was also, the carbon footprint I was leaving Play, played a lot into why I shoot so local now. Felt I felt guilty for taking any opportunity I can to just get as far away as I possibly could in my car or a plane or whatever, just to constantly travel. And I'm just like, why? Why? What the fuck am I doing all this? <laughs> like, I all. All this amazing stuff could be found in my backyard. And that was the original reason why I moved here in the small town to be to be immersed with in nature and just be inspired every day with it. And why am I going to all these places? I could just focus on focus on local stuff and just and it, it, it really caused me to push my creativity further with shooting local. Because I got, to, I, I constantly revisited these places. I constantly built up a stronger relationship with these places, and I think it just, it was just evident in my images that I started to build more of an intimate connection with with what I was shooting. Yeah, and I like what you said about revisiting the same scenes over and over again and staying close. Because psychologically, I feel like there's less. You feel like you're not taking a risk, right? And you know, it's like. Oh, if it doesn't work out today, I can just come back tomorrow. It's not it's not mm-hmm. the end of the world, right? Whereas I think if your primary mode of capturing images is to, you know, travel five to ten hours away a couple times a year, 
you know, that that's a huge investment of time and money and gasoline and fossil mm-hmm. fuel, like you said. And if there's a lot more stress involved in terms of like, oh, I feel like I have to get something good out of this. Whereas, you know, if you stay within an hour of your house and you don't get anything you like, it's fine. You can just do it again tomorrow. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was so weather dependent too. All my trips, I'd I'd be biting my nails and so nervous about like whether I'd, I'd get some dramatic weather. I was just, I was always in my car. I was always anxious. I was anticipating the weather. I was, and it just, it wasn't good for a creative headspace. Yeah. And now yeah, I, don't, sure I don't even care about weather anymore. It's just like, <laughs> <You're> like oh, <laughs> I'll find some weather. reflected light somewhere and uh, I'll, I'll make, I'll make something out of it. So. Right. No, and I yeah. mean, I've been saying this a lot lately, but I feel like that approach to photography just makes you a much stronger photographer because you can approach any scene at any time and you'll probably walk away with something that's unique to you and is personally expressive and is tied kind of to your voice and your vision. Yeah, I mean, I, I was caught up in trying to find a certain look I was like, oh, I, I need to, I need to have a certain style, or and and just eventually, I'm just like, who cares? Like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna shoot what makes me happy, and yeah, maybe maybe a style will evolve from that. But I was, I was fixated. I'm like, oh, the only way to find my style is to like figure out a, a unique like post processing style or something to to make myself stand out, but. I think that's one of the benefits of me doing it just on the side. I mean, it, it sounds selfish, but I, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to shoot whatever whatever inspires me, whatever makes me happy. And my style has definitely matured in, in terms of how picky I am and how fussy I am in, in terms of what goes out and what I publish. But um, not, really, not really caring is, has really helped help with my photography my photographic journey so yeah no I, I love that and I, I'm I'm very much the same way as you it's it's very freeing <laughs> it is yeah. yeah well along those same lines I'm curious why has it become important for you to focus more on being a reactive photographer as opposed to someone who plans locations and studies the conditions and has to be in the right place at the right time mental well-being <laughs> Um, I mean, that's a, that's honestly a big part because I was really pulling my hair out when I was going on these trips. I was, I remember just packing up my camera whenever the light would die down and saying, okay, that's it. And now being, being a reactive photographer, I, I kind of just, I bring my gear along with me and I've, I've just realized I, I want to be out in nature as long as possible. And that's why I'm doing this. And if I react and something inspires me, then I'll bust out my gear. But if it doesn't, uh, then that's fine. I'll just keep keep enjoying the walk and uh, the backpacking or whatever whatever I'm doing at that time. But it, it really does alleviate a lot of a lot of pressure that I put on myself in terms of mm-hmm. just being a reactive photographer and just going with the flow and. It's, it's kind of, I think it's tapping into my inner child in a way, in terms of, with my images, I want, I want the viewer to 
kind of get an insight into my imagination and how I see see the world and see nature. And I'm just I'm much more observant and reactive and I'm not I'm not putting all that extra stress on myself now in terms of coming home with with something. And and trips have changed a lot because I stopped doing the weekend journeys. I like to go for trips that I usually spend maybe a, a couple of weeks in the winter in Death Valley and I just sleep out of my car or do as like a home base or do some longer backpacking trips. But I just, I need to, I need to immerse myself in the landscape. I, I can't come home with anything that's meaningful to me usually on, on quicker weekend trips. So yeah, I don't know that, if that, that answered the question, but <laughs> no, that, that makes, that makes sense for okay. sure. Uh, the more we can give ourselves the opportunity to spend a lot of time in the same place, go deeper instead of broader. I mean, I think it's going to sound judgmental, but I think that's a huge mistake. A lot of photographers make when they, when they go on trips is that they try to pack too many locations into one outing, you know, instead of maybe visiting two places close to one spot, they try to visit like 20 places and, and instead of, you know, going deeper into the subjects and broadening what they're able to find in the landscape, they get disappointed because they didn't spend enough time to actually observe what's actually there. Sure. And, and I mean, you are still learning. I, I like to, I don't know. I don't know if I want to consider it mistakes in what I, in what I did and trying to like emulate, but I, I think I did learn a lot about light and composition. I mean, just hiking in general and backpacking. I learned, I learned a lot in, in that time that I spent. I just, I wish it would have been quicker for me <laughs> in terms of, <laughs> in terms of honing into, to what really inspires me. Cause I mean, I, I couldn't afford any, any workshops or any, any stuff like that. So it, uh, it just, it, it took me, it took me longer than I, that I wanted, but yeah. It took <laughs> and me who knows, I'm, I mean, yeah. And I'm constantly, I mean, who knows what my work's going to look like in a year. I mean, I mean, I, I may go back to wider stuff or who, who knows? I'm just constantly learning and yeah. If you're listening and you're super drawn to the wide angle scenes and that's what you love, there's not, that's fine. That's awesome. You know, it's a, I think it's just important to be cognizant of what you're drawn to and, and lean into it. Yeah, for sure. Well, so Ian, uh, you have some of my favorite photography right now of smaller scenes and I'd love if you could talk a little bit about your approach to finding some of the subjects that you photograph and composing them in the, in the thoughtful ways that you do. I mean, first off, I, I really appreciate that. I mean, that means yeah, a lot. Yeah. I've been really focusing on more of like project-oriented stuff lately. I think that gets me focused on one particular subject that, that helps channel my creativity. Like that, I, I did a recent wood project um, just, just on dead stumps and limbs that I was focusing on, focusing particularly on grain structure. That process was kind of intense because I was so kind of tunnel viewed on, it's hilarious, watching me in the field is pretty ridiculous because I would just, every time I would see like a a piece of driftwood or a, a fallen oak limb or something, I would just completely just like 360 analyze like 
the grain structure and trying to figure out the, the <laughs> most intricate small part of that of that structure and I would fail constantly I mean I it's not I sorry I, I wouldn't consider it failing I, I'm still I'm still out in nature enjoying <laughs> enjoying the process but in terms of coming back with an image I would I would fail constantly yeah I uh, mean experimentation I mean yeah I don't think failure is a bad thing that's how you No, for right? sure exactly yeah but I would Every piece of driftwood, I would just go up to it and circle it and then go on to the next and be like, eh, I mean, this is that's a nice piece, but I, I swear there's there's got to be something a little better out there in terms of grain structure. <laughs> and that project took me maybe about a year to come up with grain structure that I felt was, was worth sharing and that was unique enough to put out there. So it was... Definitely a good learning process in, in terms of really curating my work. Let's talk about that curation process. I mean, yeah. so you've spent all this time obsessing over every piece of driftwood in California or wherever it is you are Pretty at. much, yeah. And, you know, you come home with, let's say, 500 driftwood photographs, <clears throat> and you've got to cull that down into your strongest 10 or whatever. What, what did that process look like? Did you do it by yourself? Did you get help from others? Like, that's talk- that's when my wife comes in and destroys my <laughs> right. images. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I do that too, actually. Yeah, she's like, "What are you doing with this piece of crap image? You're polishing a turd right now." She's yeah, she's she's brutally honest. She's she definitely helps someone someone I can really trust, and she she has a lot of um, art art history background, so she knows composition and what is aesthetically, visually pleasing. Uh, and then a lot of the time I can get wrapped up in how long of a process it took to take that one image that I'd be emotionally, way too emotionally attached to an image. And that's yes. that's the beauty of it, where she'll just come in and be like, no, next. <laughs> it's just like, really? No. Yeah, no like I, don't, just, I gotta work on this just, a little bit more. You just killed my child. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> and then I cry in the corner for a little bit, but um, I recover. Right. And yeah, the, the curating process is, is tough. It's, it's still really tough for me. And with the galleries that I'm, I, I have a couple more that I'm, a couple more series that I'm working on right now, but um, the, wood, the wood one's fun because I can always, if I find a really cool grain structure, I can always go back to that and just keep, keep that series in the back of my mind and keep storing away the images. But yeah, curation is tough. It, it still is really tough, and I don't have a lot of other photographers that I that I share images with. So if anyone's listening, I'd, <laughs> I'd love to share images with someone. <laughs> oh, you should. Yeah. Um, there's lots of ways to do that. I mean, there's yeah, for sure. NPN, or the, we have a Discord channel that's really good. Um, lots of people share their work there. I don't know. Yeah, I'm a I'm a passive member of N- NPMs. NPMs. Oh, okay. So I should, one of those, I should probably... You're a lurker? I'm one of those lurkers, because... <laughs> <laughs> I should be more active on it. I, I recently signed up, so... Oh, good. Well, let's go back to the driftwood. Uh, okay. Because I, I want to say... It must have been one of your driftwood images that put you on the map for me. And obviously, you know, when you spend so much time going that deep into a single subject... Mm-hmm. You're going to get really, really good at it, probably, you know. So can you talk about the types of concepts that you're exploring uh, with those types of images 
including texture, form, or maybe something else that I haven't thought of that, that you're really drawn to? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't all driftwood. It was, it was oak and, and eucalyptus and, and different, um, different tree species that were not only on the coast. And I think one of my favorite from the series was of an oak. Um, and I, I remember when I first saw a piece of bark that really had some really neat, like circular grain structure. And I mean, it was just really visually appealing. And I think that was the first image that kind of kickstarted me wanting to do a more in-depth kind of observation and study with my camera on that subject. And I was just, I was definitely drawn to patterns. I was definitely drawn to, to color and light. Light played a really important role in terms of really making those those particular types of grain structure really contrasty and, and pop and stand out. And I, I mean, that, that was the good part about shooting the driftwood is because you can get that very last type of light, like right before it goes down the horizon. It's like, boom, okay, that's when I'm taking it. Like right when you get that like last bit of light. Uh, so that, just skipping across the surface. Exactly. And like uh -huh. reflecting off of water and it just, I would, I, I use uh, that Gaia GPS, that app yeah. a lot yeah. to, to, to really pinpoint like, <laughs> My guy GPS is like all driftwood. It's all like <laughs> different parts of the coast. But um, that was nice about the luxury of being able to go back to the scene whenever I could. Because I, I live 25, 20 minutes from the coast maybe. So uh -huh. yeah. I'm pretty close. So I can always just wait for, for the weather line up a little better um, when I want to take that particular, particular shot. Yeah, and you said you just knew it was visually appealing, right? And I, I totally that totally resonates with me too. So, are you relying on just your intuition, or are there certain kind of concepts that you're keeping in the back of your head? You know, in terms of pattern. I know you said patterns, but I'm just curious if if there's like some pattern recognition that you're using in terms of like, okay, this has evenly, it's evenly balanced, it's symmetrical. Like what are the types of things you're looking for in those scenes? Yeah, I mean, there's really, there's not a whole lot of thought on my, on my end involved in that. It's just what looks aesthetically pleasing. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple images in that series where I just like to showcase this kind of standard straight growth that you see in bark and the juxtaposition of like the really gnarly, like I, I wanted to add that in the composition together to really highlight that unique growth. Uh, but, but a lot of it is just, it's just intuition. I'm just, whatever is visually aesthetically pleasing for me, I'm just, just attracted to that and, and lines and, and the way that lines move throughout the composition. I've been, I've been exploring more with, with four by five uh, ratio now as opposed to mm. two, three. So that's, that's been, I don't know, that's been fun to kind of really chop off the, the sides of an image and yeah. So, yeah, I like four by five as well. It's, yeah. I don't always compose for it, but I find myself cropping to it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't done, uh, much like in camera, in camera four by five stuff, but yeah. Yeah. No, definitely cropping. Yeah. Well, and one of the uh, the other ways that I'm drawn to your work is that it always feels so unique and personal every time every time you post something. 
And I feel like every time you post, I'm like, I don't even need to look at the name. It's like, oh, that, that's that Ian Gaston guy. It's that <laughs> sick wood texture stuff, you know, and, uh, which is awesome. I think that's like something we should all aim for as artists. But how have you cultivated your voice in that way so succinctly? I think it's just attachment to subject matter. I was just, I was really attached to that, to that, uh, to the wood grain. And I definitely want to transition from just, I don't, I don't want to be known as the wood grain guy, but, uh, <laughs> and it's not, I mean, it's not a unique subject. I mean, there's, I mean, I think, I think William Neal recently, I saw a grain pattern of his that was like done in like 86 or something. Oh, I'm just like, are you kidding me? It. Like, what is that? I love it when he does that. He's like, I'm like, he posts a photo and it's like four by five, 1977. Right. And you're like, I wasn't even alive yet. (laughs) But it's just, yeah, that's also a a hilarious part about photography is that I I think I'm coming home with something unique and then I'll, I'll do some more research online in in terms of uh, photography. And I'm just like, that's like the same exact composition I took. It's, it's just, it's kind of fascinating how we're, we're drawn to such specific even with small detail stuff, like there's been some compositions where I'm just, uh, it's like just a foot away from, from where I shot. But I think it's, it's just an attachment to subject matter. I'm really emotionally attached to, to specific subjects like sandstone, water, wood. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, you recently posted a series of images I'm assuming was on the beach but it's like sand but the color of the sand has like this oh, the purple, color the purple kind of, maroon sand. Yeah. yeah yeah what was what was it like finding that stuff I mean is that stuff rare or like you just were like I just hit the gold mine here I, th- I think it's <laughs> I think it's reasonably <laughs> rare there's um there's certain there's certain people online that really direct an audience towards a specific place to find that oh okay but the purple sand is definitely there's there's more purple sand to be found. It's not exactly, it's it's in the general vicinity, but it's not it's not that beach. Yeah. Um, so it was just I just wanted to, I mean I love I love shooting the coast so much because it's just constantly changing. I can go to the same spot and the tide changes uh, what the exposed rock does and just tide changes the scene dramatically. Or or after a storm you go to the coast and the whole whole place you can you can barely recognize. Right, but, like stuff gets washed up on shore, gets taken yeah. out to sea, mm-hmm. um, and then depending on like the high tide, low tide, you get different patterns in the sand where the water was coming and going. I mean, it's super fun. If, if yeah, I mean, just before. just the other day, I just this um, one beach that I shoot out a lot. It, there was just a whole huge lagoon on. It wasn't connected to anything. It was just a giant giant lagoon and and five feet away it was it was controlling the sand patterns and what the sand was absorbing it was just it was really it was unique and i've never seen that particular spot look like that before so but yeah the, the purple sand stuff it's definitely it's pretty unique to california but there's there's more than one place to to find it and i just i wanted to hike one day at a beach and i came across it i'm like holy Okay, this is it's not just uh, it's not just there. So it's it's just it's willingness to explore and just observe and enjoy your time out out in nature and and you can definitely find some treasures. So 
Yeah, that's that's what I love about this approach to landscape photography is that it's it's like a treasure hunt, but you don't know mm -hmm. what the treasure is. You you know, it's like mm, I might find a silver coin, or I might find an entire chest of gold. I don't mm -hmm. know, or I might go home with nothing. But most of the time, it's, yeah, 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 yeah. For me, at least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What are what are some other uh, subjects that you're finding yourself drawn to, or that you're focusing your attention on? Sandstone, coastal coastal sandstone, and and uh, David David Southern was a huge inspiration in terms oh, of yeah. in terms of awesome. sandstone and and how you can. I mean, I I'm just it's like a deep dive into his imagination when he's photographing sandstone and and the fact that he finds a lot of relatable subjects like profiles of people's faces or. Or animals, and I, that's something I've been trying to work a little more with with my own stuff is to try to try to find something a little more relatable within the subject. So, yeah, sandstone. I'm I'm working on a series right now, so I'm not sure how long that's going to take, but it's probably going to be a pretty small series. Um, but there's some there's some pretty pretty wild sandstone on the California coast. You just have to look look a little, yeah. a little harder for it. So. Yeah, are you uh, are you familiar with the term pareidolia? No. Yeah, so that's basically what you're doing. Is it's called pareidolia when you find other objects within a greater scene, like okay. you know, if you, I like to do it when I fly drones, like and especially in Utah, like you, you're flying around and you see all these patterns, but every once in a while. A figure will appear, like a dragon or a bat sure. or a person's face, or yep. um, and and that's really fun and exciting when you can turn the natural landscape into something else. And I, I have trouble seeing that through the viewfinder. Mm. A lot of the times, I'll see that when I bring up an image on the computer. I'll be like, okay, that kind of looks like, but but it wasn't like a reactive thing in the field that I initially noticed. So that's that's something I'm trying to work a little bit more on. So, yeah, it's I think it's like you said. You just have to spend time with the subject, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned David Southern because back in May I did a trip to northern Spain for about ten days. Okay. And I spent um, a lot of time on the beach, on the coast, high tide, low tide, and I found myself gravitating towards those kinds of scenes as well, like weird patterns in the rocks with lines and. You know, you have all these sharp lines, and then you have a, a round rock. You know, it's mm -hmm. like such an interesting juxtaposition of shape and form and texture. And, and was it the same same beach, different tide patterns? A couple different beaches, but okay. I I went back to one of the beaches like three different times. Like, okay, it was just that rich with. I mean, this particular beach in Spain, you could probably photograph two months every single day there and come home with something new every day you know yeah. and did you go amazing did you go specifically there to shoot a, a type of subject or i knew that that beach had a lot of just fascinating geolo geologic formations and rock and pattern okay. and it was well 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 beyond what i had imagined <laughs> yeah it's yeah. actually quite quite awesome yeah yeah there's a couple places in california where it's just it's so the sandstone is it's so unique, but it's it's maybe like I don't know, maybe a radius of like fifty feet where it's just really intricate stuff where you can just yeah, you can spend forever. Just yeah. really yeah, spend forever forever photographing that. 
Nice. Well, Ian, what are your goals with your photography and what do you hope to say with it? That's a big one. I think my overall goal is for me to just become prouder of my work. (laughs) I just, I, I want, I want to express the beauty that's often overlooked a lot of the time with, with what I'm trying to bring to light in terms of subject matter, but I just want to become more confident with my work, and I don't, I don't know if I'll ever be, I'll probably never be 100% confident in, in what I consistently put out, but... Well, I know I'm not. <laughs> no, I mean, I've, it's, yeah, it's never, I don't think it's ever going to happen, but... I think that's a good thing, though. I mean, if it was like, oh, every photo I take is the best ever, I would probably get bored. Sure. Yeah. But whew, in terms of overall goal, that's a tough one. I feel like I'd have to think a little more about that. Maybe yes. maybe Sorry, another way of asking the question is, yeah. what do you hope uh, people looking at your images get out of that experience? I hope they understand how intimately connected I am with nature. Hmm. I, I want... I want my images to evoke some sort of emotion with the viewer. I want them to ask questions about how it was formed or why you honed in on this particular part of the scene. Yeah, I don't That's a tough question. I'm, I'm struggling with that one. No, that, that was perfect. Okay. Yeah. All right, Ian. So... Uh, last question, who inspires you that we should invite on the show or learn more about? All right, I got a couple names here. Tanya Malkin, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that name right, but she's an Australian photographer. And there's a lot of Australian photographers who are amazing at aerials. And this one, she just really stands out in terms of, it almost she does portraiture it's it's almost like uh profiles of people's faces or or trees or something a little more more relatable uh, within the scene and she's got this one particular image that's called portrait of me and and that one really really sticks are you familiar with that shot i don't think i am but okay um... I'll be recording with her in two weeks. So oh, cool. Okay. I can ask her about it. Yeah, she did some like really cool high-key processing that just really softened up the image and, and just really focused on on the, on the profile. It looked like a woman's profile, and, and that that one tripped me out. I was just, I was pretty blown away by that one, and, and how she, I'm sure she saw that in the field. It wasn't like bringing it up on the, on the screen and realizing after, but... Right. Yeah, she's, she has some really, really incredible aerial stuff. So, And then Elvis Dolly, are you having him on the show at all? I've talked to Elvis a few times. Okay. Um, I There might be a language barrier or something. I'm not totally sure, but... Okay. Yeah, he, he's got some... A lot of his work is like multiple um, exposures and double exposure, uh-huh. but it's really imaginative and well done. Yeah, I've, I've definitely been experimenting a little more with, with in-camera multiple exposure stuff. So, But he, he does it so effortlessly. It, it seems like the way, he, the way he can dissect a scene and the way he processes, it's, it's just, it's really effortless. It's, I, I'm just impressed by, what, I'm impressed by his imagination and, and what he sees in the field. So I would, I would highly recommend. 
I would say <clears throat> what I like about his work is that almost always I kind of know in the back of my head that it's multiple exposure, but I can't tell. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It's I, done, that's, it's done to me, so. that's, that well, just blows my mind. <laughs> I know. I know. I need to... Yeah. I need to, he definitely inspires me to kind of dive deeper in, in terms of multiple exposure world, but... Yeah. And then and Klaus Axelson, I know he's been gaining some popularity, but he hasn't been shooting for very long. He's a Norwegian photographer. I, I at least I don't think. I think he's only been shooting for six years or something, but Yeah. His style is just super mature. Like the the way he processes oh, it's an so image. Clean. It's just so classy. It's it's really Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's got yeah. a couple standout images, like that really tiny waterfall shot that he that he did. It's just his focus on light is just incredible. So, yeah, it's a, it's funny, man. You mentioned him, and I actually just wrote an article about him and his photography for On Landscape. It hasn't come out oh, yet. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, by the time this episode comes out, it'll be out. But okay. uh, at the time of this recording, it hasn't been released yet. But yeah, I spent a lot of time looking at his images and trying to dissect what it was I liked about it and you're right it's really classy <laughs> yeah I need I need to buy some of his precepts <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's the trick <laughs> it's the trick I swear <laughs> no he's he's just he's yeah his his work is so classy so yeah yeah it's very then, understated yeah it is, but it's it's really powerful at the same time, and that's right. that's the stuff I'm really drawn to these days. It's just like powerful quietness in an in, in, in image. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then last is uh, a friend of mine, Kevin Chala, who's a who's a fellow Bay Area photographer, and he's just the way he looks and can dissect a scene. Um, we've shot similar scenes together, and it's and it's pretty amazing how we can I mean he he comes comes away with something completely different than what I'd shoot and it's just like a foot away or something of like the same scene he's he's got a really wonderful eye and yeah it would it would be great to have him on the show because he's such a such a great photographer so awesome yeah I think that's it oh, cool well Ian thank you so much I, I love the conversation and keep up the great work I think thank you so much is Really awesome. So I, yeah, appreciate that. I, I look forward to seeing what's next beyond yeah. the driftwood. <laughs> yeah, who knows what's going to be next? No, th thank you so much, Matt. It was it was an honor to be on your show and keep up the good work as well. Because uh, I mean, I, I've been loving your the process that I've I've seen you go through from the from the wide angle to uh, we've we've had kind of a similar we've evolved similarly. I think as as photographers, and I, I'm really. I'm really enjoying your stuff, so keep up the great oh, work. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thank you to Ian for the awesome chat. I love learning about your journey, and I can't wait to see where it takes you next. By the way, I'd be perfectly happy if someone called me the wood grain guy if that meant that I could have your photographs in my portfolio. Keep up the awesome work, my friend. Okay, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.